Hello, and welcome to Dopey, the podcast about drugs, addiction, and dumb shit, and I'm Dave. And I'm Chris. Let me ask you something, Chris. First of all, how, you don't look good. You're sick. Yeah, Dave and I are both sick. Uh, Dave's been on antibiotics, so he's rebounding a little more quickly than I am. But uh, this is going to be a low-energy Dopey on my end. Oh, I, you never know what can get you fired up. Yeah. Maybe something will get you fired up. Um... Yeah, I got really sick on Wednesday. I, I, I was I was feeling great. I went into Manhattan to do my white collar portion of my job and I was getting shit done. I was moving and shaking. And then I was like I was walking home from an AA meeting and I was like, I feel a little bit sick. Mm. And then I get back to my dad's house where I work, which that has to change. Working at my father's house is becoming a drag. Mm. Sorry, Dad. And it's better than going into your work work. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, and then I get home and I realize I'm getting sick. You know, like I'm feeling it in my throat and I'm feeling it in my head. And it's like, I'm getting sick. And then I <laughs> say to my dad, I'm like, like, dad, I think I'm getting sick. And he always says the same thing. You're not sick. <laughs> You're not sick. It's like, yeah. fuck you. He can get sick as much as he wants. But if I say I'm getting sick, I must not really be sick. Well, that's and how then, it was when I grew up. It was like if I said I'm sick, it was a ploy to get out of, you know, life. Right, there's I, no, look for, I, we've talked about this before. I look forward to getting sick usually because it's like, you know, I get to just hang out and watch TV and do what I want to do. But it's funny because the last two days I've been doing that. But then I just I feel like a bum and I feel like I'm doing something wrong. Let me tell you something. I was – I was sick. I got home fucking sick and I'm loving it. Loving being sick. You know, I, even when I feel terrible, I love it. I just, I just love it. But the thing is that there are so many things happening in my home that I can't really get away with being sick. I come home, you know, there's the baby, my wife with the baby. My other daughter was out late. Your unset up house. Well, it's mostly set up. We've done a lot. I've, I've we've done a lot of work. Yeah, but dude, the size of that fucking thing, you're going to be moving in there for months. Well, we need to get furniture. But anyway, and my wife is not happy that I'm sick. She's yeah. just like, and she she's never been. You know, like some some mates are really good at taking care of you when you're sick. Yeah. She's not. She's not one of those. Some she mates. Like, some mates. <laughs> what is that? Like you're, you know, you're a life partner, your life mate. Yeah, I they guess. like they take care Care-taking. of you. Caretaking. <laughs> she doesn't. She she like gets mad at me, and I always say the same thing. First of all, it's like if I'm not really, really sick, like she's not down <laughs> with caretaking at all. Well, it's That's funny what, because I think that like uh, alcoholics, a lot of times they pick partners who are caretakers, but. That's usually a bad thing because they just sort of enable you to be sick. And, like, that's not Linda at all, which is good no. for you. <laughs> My ex, like, I I don't even remember, but I'm pretty sure she care took pretty hardcore considering I was with her for eight years, most of which I was shooting heroin in her house. Yeah. You know? <laughs> um, anyway, so and Linda has the baby. You know what I mean? It's not like she should be making me soup and, like, making me fucking lasagna and shit. She's got a fucking three-week-old on her breast. But but I'm, like, sick, sick, sick. So I order us food, and I'm, like, trying to, like, get shit done. And 
And then, um, and then Linda was like, I'm going to bed. You have to put Nora to bed. So I was like, I was like, Nora, do you really need me to put you to bed? And she was like, yes. And I was like, okay. I was like, I'm really sick though. I was like, I'm really sick. I cannot face you. I have to give you my back and you have to go to sleep as soon as you can. So I give her my back and I'm lying in her bed and, uh, and, I'm, and I feel my nose start like running but not like just like getting stuffed up, like running. Yeah. And then I, then I feel like my ears start to hurt. Yeah. I'm like, I'm like, I'm really sick. You know, <laughs> I feel like my head is pulsing and my nose is running and my ears are aching. I'm like, and I'm like, I'm fucking sick. I can't believe this. And I said, I said to her, I said, I gotta go. I said, you're gonna have to put you yourself. Just, well, at this point, were you just laying next to her or were you reading or something? No, just, we were in the dark. Oh. I was lying next to her and I'm feeling these symptoms swirling into me you know and i was like i gotta go and uh and she goes where are you going and i went daddy needs to get medicine <laughs> so uh i i run to and i said you go to sleep and i will check on you when i get back and i leave her room and i like, put my shoes on and stuff and then i go check on her and she's already asleep then um then i get in the car and i go to 7-eleven and i get the sacred bottle of nyquil mm. and i come home and I take the NyQuil. And, Did you get regular uh, NyQuil or NyQuil severe? I don't even know. <laughs> uh, I, I'm like, I don't even know. But uh, I take the NyQuil and uh, and I go to bed and then I start waking up in the middle of the night because there's a screaming, crying baby. And then in the morning, I'm like, I'm sick. Like, I'm sick. I can't go to work. And, and Linda's like, well, you're, gonna, you're either going to help me out with the baby or you got to get out of here. I'm like, what? I'm sick. <laughs> and then, and then I'm, I'm like, I'm like, I'm staying home. I'll help you if I can, you know. And I'm trying to like do the dishes in the morning and do all this stuff. And then I'm like really sick, so I go upstairs and I like lie down in the bed. And when I get out of bed, I'm like full blown fucking sick. And I said, I said, I think I have a fever. Yeah. And she like, and she like takes a thermometer out, and I have a hundred and two fever. And I'm like, thank God, I have a, I have a fever, and now they can leave me alone. Yeah. And, then, and then, and then her mother's like, oh no, you probably have strep, and that could kill the baby. Yeah. So you have to go to the doctor right now. Yeah. And I was like, okay, okay, I'll go. <laughs> so I, I put on like a thick hooded sweatshirt in the summer, you know, I put the hoodie up. Like it's all like dope sick. The whole, yeah. every, every inch of it is dope well, that's sick. That's what it that's, feels like, man. Yeah. It, it's except, also totally. Except dope being dope sick is worse. Um, it's, it's, it's only worse if you don't have dope coming. You know what I'm saying? It's yeah, like oh, yeah, yeah, you yeah. could get dope sick and you know in a half an hour you have dope coming or in an hour you have dope coming. If you're not intending on riding out the sick, dope sickness isn't worse than 102 flu, whatever. Hold on a second. There's this uh, staticky shit. Try taking um, – either twisting your earphones or taking the earphones off. Yeah, try taking Better. the earphones off. Just try taking them off. Let me see. Better? Yeah, that's just, yeah, that's just like No, you gotta put it back on. Sorry, Dopey Nation. We're both sick. Wasn't able to make it to New York, and so it's uh, we're doing that Skype recording call bullshit again. But so I found out. I, I'm making this story really long. I, I found out I had an ear infection, probable strep throat. They gave me amoxicillin, and then I went home, 
and I lay down in the bed, and then it was all good from there. I watched the 25th Hour. You ever watch the 25th Hour? No. It's the Spike Lee movie about this heroin dealer Mm. who uh, gets busted, and it's the 24 hours before he decides to turn himself in to go to jail. That sounds pretty good. I actually don't like drug shit that much. I always say that, though, but then I love The Wire. I love Breaking Bad and stuff. But, um. This one isn't isn't like that. It's about a guy who has to... There's no drug using. Yeah. You know? It's not It's not like that. He just happens to be a heroin dealer. Yeah. You know? But that movie, like, that's a movie I always would watch Dope Sick. Yeah. And, uh, or, like, you know, trying to get off of heroin kind of thing. Like, that would be a movie I would watch. And And watching it, like, sober, it's like, this movie's not that good. I love the movie, but it's like more of a sentimental favorite. Oh, and then, well, please. No, no, go, go, go. No, what's your sentimental favorite? You know, I don't, I don't go sentimental. I go the opposite. If I'm sick or depressed or something, as it relates to to drug use, pretty much the only things I can tolerate is like Pixar animated movies. It has to be so fucking light. Anything gets me like depressed. So I got to watch like Finding Nemo or The Incredibles. That's what you do when you're oh, sick. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. Not if I'm not if I'm sick like I am now. I mean, if I'm sick as it relates to being shady, like getting high or something like that, because really? it's usually tied up with guilt and shame. And the only things I don't even want to look at, like the human experience and emotion, unless it's just dealing with like happiness. <laughs> really? So if you're if you were when you were using and you got dope sick, you'd be watching like Disney Pixar when you were sick. Not even that. Not even sick. When I was, I remember when I was at uh, my undergrad the first time, and I was drinking around the clock, and my girlfriend uh, at the time broke up with me, and I was so depressed, and it was just drinking in depression. The only fucking thing I could watch was those like computer animated shows. It was like it. Futurama or something. Yeah, I just watched shit like that constantly. I could watch Futurama high, but I couldn't watch it sick. Sick, I need to watch something where I can get mired down in the sickness. Like, something like sad and sick. Like, I don't know why. That's so weird, I guess. But, uh, then I, then I was like, I started, I was watching the 25th hour, which I've seen a million times, and I was like, I was like, this shit isn't as good as, I mean, I, I hate to say it on our podcast because, you know, this is like our podcast, but and I and like if you had asked me before yesterday to name some of my favorite movies, I would have named the Twenty Fifth Hour. Yeah. But I was like, this shit fucking sucks. While I was watching it, <laughs> you know, I just had to shut it off. And then I put on this documentary about Eric Clapton called. Oh, uh, I heard about that. I heard it's. I heard it's pretty good. Life in Twelve Bars. I think it's what it's yeah, called. Yeah, they were talking about it at my my place of work. Yeah, and uh, it is. It's fucking great. It is great, and it's really dopey. You know, it's really it hit, it fires on nines and tens in terms of dopey because this guy, you know, he's quintessential rock and roll musician. He, I mean, you probably couldn't name two bands Eric Clapton was in. That's how was, little you know was in. Yeah, name two. I, I didn't even know he was in a band. I thought he was just Eric Clapton. <laughs> Amazing. Should I name some of the bands Eric Clapton was in just for the hell of it? Uh, sure. He was in Cream. I've never heard of it. Like the Wu-Tang song? That's a joke. <laughs> right? That's like a, not a good joke that you're making? Yeah. Here. 
Hold on, I, you're making me crazy. This is painful for me, but I'm just going to take a second here. If you play something on your laptop, it's not going to play on the show. Why not? It just doesn't, I'm telling you. Why? I don't know. Maybe it will. I, I don't know. But just don't play something on your laptop right now. you got to play it on your phone and hold it in. Is it playing? And you got to play it on your phone and hold it in. That would have been smarter. Let's do something. We've been talking about getting sick now for 15 minutes. Let's do some dopey. I think it's been longer I than that. I think we've tuned everybody out. All right, so now we got the real dopey fans. Yeah. So let's, re- <laughs> yeah. let's really talk about the boring people with us thick and thin. You know because what I started? Because this is thin. <laughs> Should we start Look. with the voice memo? Should we go right into it? No. No, no. Listen. I don't want to hear about your sickness anymore. I don't care. That's Cream. Oh, yeah, I know the song. All right. Yeah. He was then. He was in this band. Oh fuck it! You make me sick that you don't know anything about music. Yeah. It's so depressing. Yeah. How, why don't you care? I do care. I no, listen. You... I listen to the stuff that moves me. No, you don't. I do. You know what I listened no, you... to last night for two hours? Tell me. Space ambient music whilst I wrote my paper. So today, Anthony Bourdain killed himself. Yeah. Yeah, it's fucked up, man. I didn't even know any... I had just read it, and then Annie texted me in the morning, and um, I was surprised. I, I thought, you know, at first I thought maybe um, it was an overdose and that it was being ruled as a suicide in the beginning because I knew he was a heroin addict. Um, I knew he still drank and smoked pot, I believe, but... Um, so I immediately assumed he went back, but it, it, it sounds like he, he took his life. He hung himself, and so did that woman, Kate Spade. They both hung themselves. And um, I don't know. Uh, I never really was – you know, I don't know if this is fucked up to say or not, but I'm not the biggest Anthony Bourdain fan. I'm not surprised. I mean, literally. Why not? I mean, Leonard Cohen. I mean, you don't like these people who are just well-known, amazing artists. You know. Oh, you're not. You're not surprised that I don't like him. I thought you're not surprised that he killed himself. No, I'm not surprised you like him. Like Avicii, you know, you don't like Avicii. You bash him. It's, it's, what bad things are you going to say about Anthony Bourdain right now? I just found him to be smarmy. Smarmy. You know. Yeah. <laughs> no. It's funny. Is that you know? I, I think if somebody asked me without of context, what smarmy means i don't even think i'd be able to give them an answer but i know what you mean when you say that i I, I, he has a smarminess to him or he had yeah he had a smarmy way and 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 really but that's not what i want to talk about with anthony bourdain you know linda wanted to see some of his shows so i put some of his shows on today and i was i was i'm pretty friendly with the people that make his show Mm -hmm. and so like i know them and i know that this is going to cost them you know like their whole livelihood these are you know, CNN people? No, the people who did my pilot made the Anthony Bourdain show. Uh, well, he's been with CNN for like five years, right? It doesn't matter. They make the show and they sell it to CNN. Oh, okay, okay. It's their production company. Yeah. Um, and and um, it's like here you have a guy, right? And he was a chef and he was a drug addict. And so he wanted to reveal the underbelly of the restaurant world to the world. Which is that exactly was, what the description of Kitchen Confidential is. Right. That's what, yes. I'm, what I'm talking about. Yeah. So he wrote that art. He wrote an article for The New Yorker to, to blow up the restaurant industry. And within two days, 15,000 people wrote him back. 
Within a year, he got an offer for was a book. Was he famous before that? No. Like, not was, at all? He was a chef. Like, that. was he a famous chef? No. There were no fam- He created the age of the famous chef. There were no famous chefs. There's just Julia Childs and shit. There's nothing. Martha Stewart. She wasn't a chef. She was more of like a Home make maker. things pretty. Exactly. Yeah. You know, whatever she was. She wasn't a famous chef. Yeah. There was a couple of famous chefs, but not. But that was the age that chefs became. So he celebrity. writes this piece. It gets picked up by the Times. You said the New Yorker magazine. Oh, okay. He wrote it through okay. the New York magazine, yeah. and uh, and instantly people were. Re- it was a very renegade piece, and he got an offer for a book. What do you say? Nothing. I, well, I was just curious, though. Like, what was he saying? Was he saying the underbelly of the kitchen? What does that mean? Like, what goes on? Like, no, I think it's about. Was how it an things- expose of you know, like the I dysfunction, or was it like positive? I think it was just really. I didn't read it, so I'm just going to yeah. say from what I've read, what I've discerned from it was that it was gut wrenching reportage, like about crazy long hours, crazy drug use. Uh, you know, dreams deferred, you know, not being in, like cared. Nobody cares about you. You know what I'm saying? Like you're yeah. this slave in, the, in the, the hull of a ship and you're taking drugs to keep going and it's thankless and the money's not good. And, and like he created the idea of a line cook as a warrior. You know what I mean? Like yeah, yeah. he created that sort of like uh, romance behind it. And every every eulogy I read about him or every like kind of you know, uh, memorial. It just talked about his connection as a as a bad boy of kitchen culture, yeah. as sort of like this Zen Buddhist, you know, yeah. beat style of. I've kitchen. read some of the and the responses that um, the people, what the stuff people wrote about him today, um, and it, it's always like really nice comments, you know, in this one time. But it seemed pretty flattering because some of them were like specific things he did, and he seemed like a pretty cool guy just from those. Totally. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, my point is this: he's this guy. So he writes the book, yeah, and and everybody loves this book. It was on the New York Times bestseller list for like you know a long time. I don't know how long, but a long yeah. time. And uh, and I I've tried to read the book, and I'm sure it's a good book. I'm sure it's just my ADD that hasn't let me read it. Um, you can only read music shit. You're that's the only thing you can read. No, I'm reading The Outsiders right now. Anyway. Um, but uh, what was I going to say? So after that, after his book went big, he started do. They they came up with the idea for doing a travel show with him. Yeah, and and, uh, and it was basically about him going to different restaurants and different places and meeting the people who made the food and talking about the food and having an adventure. Yeah. You know, he did this show for twenty years or something between two networks and two different titles of the show. He, he was, you know, people lived to sit and watch him eat and talk to people. And then, but he was a junkie and hooked on methadone up until he was like 40 or something, right? But the, the Kitchen Confidential didn't happen until after that. No, think. but I'm just curious, do you know about his pattern of use beforehand? You know, I, I'm going to, you, I, I'm not sure. I, I, I saw Tracy posted that he had been on methadone. I didn't know about that. Let's see. I'm just going to go. We're just going to learn right now a little bit about him. Well, I guess he, he would um, drink on his shows and stuff. You know, He drank and he smoked weed on his show. Yeah. Okay, here we go. Bourdain was a 1978 graduate of the Culinary Institute of America and a veteran of numerous professional kitchens, including many years spent at his, the famous place was the Brasserie Les Le Hau. I don't know how to pronounce that. Yeah. Then 
then in 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 2000 he wrote kitchen confidential his first you know whatever 35 episodes on food network from 2000 that's 18 years he did the show just skip are you on wiki just skip to his drug use what does it say about his drug use doesn't doesn't have drug use. They should have a whole drug use section on there. Here we go. No, it doesn't have a drug a drug use section. In personal life, uh, a former user of cocaine, heroin, and LSD in Kitchen Confidential, he wrote of his experience in a trendy Soho restaurant in 1981. Uh, blah 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 blah. It doesn't say about methadone. I went to one of his restaurants. He. Um, he owned a place uh, somewhere downtown in the financial district in New York. I went with years ago, and uh, I thought it was overpriced. And it was French, you know. It was like super buttery and stuff. And I, I he just owned it. I don't think he actually like makes the food or whatever. Definitely not, because he's been traveling for eighteen years for this show. Yeah. Um, they they found him dead, hanging in a hotel room in Kaiserberg, France. Um. And the point is this, right? He had a he had a wife and he had a daughter. He was married a couple of times. And the craziest thing is like, do you know how many people would have died for that kind of a life where all he does is travel and eat and, and he, he had more money than he could probably spend. Yeah. You know what I mean? Eighteen years at the top of his craft. Yeah. And and he could if he if he didn't like the travel he could have been like, I'm going to take a year off. I'm going to take five years off. But like he just kept going and he was obviously so miserable and he killed himself. And I don't know anything about his story in terms of depression, but this has to be a story of depression, right? Oh yeah. I mean, it's probably, I mean, I would have, I would imagine it's like clinical depression, but it's also probably tied into his substance use, you know, and he probably had Probably hit with both things. You know, a lot of us are just depressed as a product of being an alcoholic or addict, and you don't treat the addiction if you don't live in recovery, you'll get depressed. But then there's other people who actually have, you know, major depressive disorder or something like that, persistent depression, and then um, are addicts too. It sounds like he probably had both. It was probably some sort of interplay. Who was the fucking dude? There was a guy who was supposed to come on Dopey. I was on his show, remember, like a year ago for like five seconds. Um, Zimmern or whatever, what was his name? Yeah, yeah, Zimmerman, Andrew Zimmerman. I told you I met him and I was on his show. Um, I was in a restaurant where they were filming and I didn't actually have any lines and stuff. But uh, he was like homeless, really bad addict. And he had that bizarre food show where he'd travel around the world. And I guess he got super, super fucking depressed doing it. And he was like a low bottom alcoholic. Well, I think that that's – I bet you and, – and he's in recovery, that guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I mean, I was talking to. I talk, to he said he would go on. He took my card and stuff, and I should have got his number. He said he was going to call me. But. He said he was going to go on my web series too. He's a fucking liar, that Andrew Zimmerman. <laughs> but um, what I'm saying is this: that uh, I was talking to my wife about it this morning. I don't want to keep saying her name, so I just yeah. say my. Uh, even though we're not married, just to make that clear. Um, I just, because it sounds dumb, I, I just say your wife too, because I'm like your fiance, I'm like, you're fucking 44 years old. By the way, it was just Dave's birthday, everybody. You know, happy birthday, Dave. But it's like fiance in your 40s, and just call your wife, you know? Yeah, exactly. I mean, two kids, for Christ's mm-hmm. sake, you know? But anyway. Call your mate. So, yeah, my, my mates, me and my <laughs> mates were down at the shack. Um, what the fuck? Um, 
So I was talking to her about it, and we were talking about addiction and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, and it's like people, the phrase that I'm hearing, and it got me crazy today. When he was an addict. Yeah. You know, meaning that when he was doing heroin and coke, yeah. he was an addict. And now he just drinks and smokes weed, so he's not an addict. Yeah. You know, and that's the phrase that's running around now, you know, bandied about outside of, you know, the recovery community. And the truth is, you know, whatever anybody does, I don't give a shit. But being in recovery is about like it's a spiritual thing and 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 it gives you like a, a blueprint for living, and I think it'd be very hard to get so mired down if if you're in it. You know what I mean? Especially if you're drinking every night and smoking weed and and you need to get wasted to do your show. I don't see how you could avoid this kind of a fate almost. Yeah. I hear you. Um, but along those lines, let's um, let's play the voice memo. You ready? You have nothing to say about this thing? No, I think we got to move on. We're 30 minutes in. We got to right. keep the show going. Are you ready? Yeah, sure. Why not? All right. Uh, we're playing uh, Dopey Nation. This um, voice memo is a, uh, it's a lovely um, little treat. I don't want to say treat because it's uh, somber and uh, it'll complement sort of the direction we're going thus far. But it's from Tina. He's one of our long, long-term listeners. Um, uh, she has been with us since the beginning. I'd say one of the first five people that emailed us, right? I don't know. I know that she's listened for a long time, and we had a very, very – she was the first incredibly positive email, and, and she was very, very much into the show. We had gotten other emails, but, like, she was kind of like a bona fide super fan kind of email. Yeah. And she she's might, always and she's always been um, – in the beginning, she listened religiously, and then she kind of fell away, but every, you know – uh, three to six months, she would kind of chime in. So th- this is something um, um, recently we heard from Tina. You ready? Totally. All right. Hey guys, it's uh, it's me, Teen. I um, I miss you guys. <laughs> I uh, I've been listening like sporadically here and there, so I can binge listen these days. And um, and I've also been too busy to listen because. I'm too busy uh, oscillating and dipping and dabbing here and there. It's fucking crazy, right? I know. I was like, Miss Miss Sobriety in five and a half years. And uh, now I don't even know what I'm doing. And um, I feel like I feel very disconnected, clearly. From the meetings and from my people and from this and from that and uh I don't know for some reason you guys like still make sense to me like you still make sense and um I don't know like I don't want to be sober and I don't want to be fucked up and I'm somewhere in the middle I'm not sober but I'm not really fucked up yet I'm just kind of like skating by and it's like misery purgatory misery it feels like and uh i don't know i just lost my i feel like i've lost my desire i lost the desire and uh, i i don't know what to do to be honest i uh i don't know if it's gonna work for me i don't think it's gonna work for me anymore if i go if i get in recovery again and uh 
I don't think I care. I go to work and I, call, I get right home as fast as possible and I don't want to talk to anybody. I just want to do what I do. And I'm lucky I uh, even get to work. I'm an hour late right now. <laughs> and uh, I don't care. But, uh, I don't know, maybe I'm looking for some advice, some help, some guidance, some something. I don't know what I need and I don't know what I want and... I feel like I've accepted my life as it is what it is. I feel like I'm going to be um, this 30, I'm 36 year old. You know, I feel like I'll never be a parent. I'll never be married. Um, And it hurts me. And like, in reality, like, I don't think I'm enough reason to like do this whole sobriety thing I think and I think if I do it's not going to change my circumstances and uh and I accept it I accept it it's cool but if that's going to be it's going to be what it is then I'm going to do what I want to do and uh that's uh how I feel and I don't know for you guys to play this I don't even know if I'm going to send this uh you know I was listening to you guys for a couple of hours yesterday, and you just saw my mind. And I love these both so much. You guys are so great. It's like you're you are a blessing to the rest of us. And uh, I don't know. I'm tired. Of, I'm stuck in the middle right now. And uh, I guess I, something's gonna happen either way. I'm gonna either do it right or do it wrong. And. Uh, We'll see what happens, but um, you know, I just lost my motivate. I have no motive. I have no motivation to fucking do any of it. I don't care. Like I just feel like I truly don't care. You know what I mean? My sponsor a couple months ago told me that, you know, she thinks I need to seek some outside help, and I and I went to the doctors and they gave me these bullshit pills. Um, I don't think they're. I don't think they're doing anything. I don't know if they're doing anything. I don't know. They're definitely not going to do anything if I'm not doing anything, but. Whatever, I eat them every day. And, uh, what do you do when you lost your motivation? I know better. But I don't care. Like, what do you do then? You know? I don't know. Either way, I love you both. Dave, congratulations on the new baby. Chris, you're still a maniac, but I love you. And, uh, I don't know. Love you guys. The show's great. It, it, this is what you're meant to do. And I'm sorry you guys don't make millions off of it because you should. But that's what you're meant to do. Love you. Teens. So what did you think of the voicemail? I'll tell you what. I'll tell you. Uh, I listened to that voicemail walking through Manhattan and uh, I got really upset. You know, I felt really badly about it. And the first thought is the thought I always have, which is, oh, if, if, if you just try recovery, it's going to make your life so much better and everything is going to be so much better. And then I was like, wait a second. She was in recovery for five years. Legit, how, doing it, you know, doing the whole thing. How am I going to tell her that, you yeah. know? And then... Well, it's, then, it's, it, it gets upsetting. I don't mean to interrupt, sorry, but it's so upsetting and it's heavy things to hear because I, my guttural response is the same as yours. And so it's scary on a personal level to see somebody that's one of us that's in that state. 
because I, I get it. I've felt that way. You know what I mean? But to feel that way after, you know, five and a half years of sobriety to, to, to you know, paint the picture of hopelessness, which she like really did a good job doing. It's, it's hard. It's like, it's like, what if that happens to me? Well, this is the thing. We don't know the, the, the thing that instigated the relapse. We don't know where she was or what was happening or whatever. But the thing that I thought of and the thing that I wrote her immediately, first I wrote her to call me, but she didn't call me. So, Tina, I understand why you didn't call me. You don't want to hear about it. <laughs> but I'm going, to say, I'm going to say it anyway. It's like, yeah, maybe – I mean the, when I, the meeting that I go to, right, the guy always says the same thing. He says if somebody comes in and says they relapsed – and the guy's kind of a dick, okay? Yeah. The guy's like – I say, okay, well – where were you in the process? Had you worked the steps? And he's like, nine out of ten times the person didn't work the steps. They were stuck on a step. And when they weren't that person, he would be like, well, how many sponsees do you have? And often they wouldn't have any sponsees or they wouldn't have a sponsor. They wouldn't be doing each thing that yeah. uh, the 12-step fellowship you know, says you should be doing. And those people, they, they could be in a precarious situation. But the thing that really spoke to me was that here we have Tina – you know, quote unquote, dipping and dabbing yeah. after five years of recovery. It's like there is no way you can dip and dab for any length of time, yeah. you know, without the next level of serious consequences popping up. And if Tina can do it, she's the the only person in the universe that can do it. No, but the, 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 the scary part of her voice memo is like, I don't even think, I mean, she was saying I'm somewhere in between, you know what I mean? But like, I don't even think she wasn't defending it and saying that she was going to be successful. She was just sort of saying that she lost the motivation. She didn't think it was going to work for her. You know what I mean? And it's like, and it's like what I heard wasn't even like, Oh, I don't think it's going to work for me in the sense that like, Oh, it's not going to work. It's like, it's not going to work for me because like I'm, you know, just not motivated, not, uh, you know, in a mental place where I'm going to even do all this stuff. You know what I mean? But it's really, it's really the same thing we talk about all the time when we, when we talk about this in another way, which is, you know, willingness and, and, and like the worst part about it, if, if Tina doesn't die from the relapse, you know, and I hope to God that Tina doesn't die from the relapse. Yeah. It, when things get worse, chances are her willingness will, yeah, will, pain will kick is, in. Pain you know, is, is, is a pain great motivator. Is a good motivator. Great. Yeah, but the, then, but one of the other things on the flip side, and I understand this is why people get pissed off at twelve step groups, is like they're kind of beyond reproach. Is that sort of no matter what's going on in your life, it's always like, oh, well, they weren't doing enough, and that's why this happened. Do you know what I mean? Which is a good thing, but it cuts oh, both huh. ways, you know? Right. I, I hear you, but it's like the real thing is that we have this life-threatening affliction, yeah. and we need to keep constant vigilance to not have that thing happen. But I'm not constantly vigilant, you know, and I should be. I should be yeah. doing more. Uh, but so you're not relapsing. You, you do a podcast about addiction. Yeah. You have sponsees. You talk to your sponsor. You consider what your actions are in accordance with 12 steps. You know, it's like you're not doing fucking 99.9 out of 100, but you're probably at a solid 88. Yeah. You know? I mean, no. I No, no, no. I'm at a fucking 50%. I would Bullshit. Say. You're, but, 50, you're 50 
out of like the serious hardcore crazy people, you're out of fifty. Yeah. Out of the universe, you're at eighty-eight. I bet you Why can because it's a pretty high percentage. It's like you're at a B plus. That's a very you know, racist you, number. You know that, right? Why? Eighty-eight is what all the skinheads and the, the comrades get tattooed on them. Yeah, well, high, that's what, high Hitler. I'm it's, sure uh, there's it's somewhere. Two, it's two somewhere, H's. I'm sure somewhere on your body you have an 88 tattooed. <laughs> but, um, but not to make light of her situation, I just say it's just it's just scary. And um, when somebody is in that place of of um, the, the scary thing is this is that like you said, pain is the great motivator. And it's like, what if pain doesn't motivate? What if you keep going along and you keep using? Really, what you get to is it's what you said. It's like somebody can die. It's suicide. It's something like that, you know? I just know that, like, whether when it's we... accidental or intentional, you know? She's describing the depression, you know? It's de- serious depression. You can hear it in her voice. Well, what's your point? Um. My point is, uh, I don't know, I'm just commenting on it, you know? I think that, um, you know, I, I don't like the idea of of cultiness, and I don't like the idea of proselytizing anything. Mm. I just know that this 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 thing, you know, and, and I, I, you know, I think I was taken a little aback for you to say that you're not vigilant. Because you actually are vigilant. You do the stupid breathalyzer every night. You no, do something, well, I say that you I'm do not, something having to do with your recovery every day. Well, I say I'm not vigilant because I think, and this is like another thing that cuts both ways, and it depends on how you receive it and how you incorporate it in your life, is that um, you know the, the program is like you can always be doing more. And I, I tend to have some sort of guiltiness that I'm not doing enough. Which is a good thing for me, you know. Other people might receive that in the opposite way and say, "Ah, I'll never be able to do it." Do you know what I mean? Well, I, I know that I do not operate at nines and tens in recovery. You know what I mean? I go to a meeting once a week. I I talk to you when I talk to you, but I don't talk to many other people in recovery that often. Yeah. I don't have any sponsees. I lost my sponsor, moved away. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, but I don't feel like. You know, I know I could be doing a million more things, but I feel like I'm pretty on the case, even though all those things are true. For me, you know what I'm for, saying? for me, when I realize I need to be more vigilant, which I've even noticed just because I hurt my leg and now I'm sick as I haven't been able to, I always do like the elliptical almost every day, at least six days a week. And like, I've noticed I've gotten more restless, you know, kind of dry and whatnot, but it ties in with all the sort of 12 step lingo. And, and, and it, it, this isn't just unique to the 12 step program. People get so upset, but it's like being more self-centered, getting more angry with things in general, um, just having lower self-esteem, all those things are an indication that I'm not being vigilant enough. Do you know what I mean? And it's like, and if I spend enough time living in that area with those things, eventually the drink or the drug becomes more appealing or becomes I, appealing. Well, is it appealing to you? No, it's not. But it's like, I know from previous experience that it will become appealing. I, you know what I know? It's actually, it's funny you say that because I hurt my leg. And, I, and for some reason, the only time the pain really comes out is when I sit in class for hours, right? I was actually telling my sponsor this the other day. And it was the first time in sobriety I was like uh, – or you know, this sobriety that I was like, um, 
I wish I could take a pain pill and like legit. And it wasn't for like emotional. It was like literally just like, I am in so much right. pain. I don't want to feel this. And it's like, and I was like, wow. And I, and I was like, I wish I had, I wish it was more like even like, I wish I had the luxury of doing it, you know? Right. And that's, but that's the funniest thing about it because it's like, you wish you, <clears throat> you wish you had the luxury to do it because you're in pain. But then meanwhile, because you're such a horrible drug addict, the second you do it, it's like, you know, it's just, it can really open up the box. Oh yeah. As soon as you do it, the physical pain gets worse. And then eventually you just wanted to treat emotional pain and then you wanted to treat life. You just can't handle life. <laughs> I, I mean, I was with my dad in the last couple of weeks, we were doing something and he started talking about, uh, he always wants to find a business to get into like, or a business for me to get into. Yeah. Like he's always looking for something like to get, get us rich. And he goes, you know, Dave, recreational marijuana is coming to new york you know there's a lot of money to be made there and i was like i was like are you, I was like, are you kidding me you know but but then i kind of got upset at the idea of recreational marijuana being available in new york because it would be such a be like it's such a it's just such a trigger but it would be it's a bummer it's just yeah. it would be such a bummer to me you know what i mean like why because it's at your fingertips and when and one time you wanted it and it wasn't anyway it's just there's something – it's like – you ever see the movie Airplane? Yeah, and the slapstick you know, thing. And there's the character who's like, looks like I picked the wrong week to quit no, school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, <laughs> it's like well, now that you know, marijuana was legal, it's like, looks like I picked the wrong three years to get sober. Well, you know it's, what so I mean? funny. it's like there's, there's the flip side of that. There's the people who started using in like the late 80s, you know, or the the mid to late 80s, the early 90s. Who ended up getting fucking 10, 20 years for like basically recreational amounts of drugs. And then There's, I always think I had that same reaction for you. I have about like I would, you know, we in psychology, we read about like the, you know, old timey doctors, like late 1800s, early, early 1900s, where you could just fucking go get, you know, morphine. You can just go get two, two, cocaine was in the store for toothaches, like pure powdered cocaine. You'd put it on your fucking tooth. Or laudanum at the medicine show. Yeah. <laughs> Get a little laudanum to yeah. put up your nose. Yeah, co- but, Coca-Cola. You know, it was a cocaine cola. It was, you know, originally. There was like 10 milligrams of cocaine in every, in every uh, Coke. But back to, back to Tina, you know, my point is just, you know, and you can't, it's like this is also like my thing with, uh, with, with treatment. You know, you can't tell anybody anything. You can't do anything for anybody. All I can think to say, and that's why everybody just winds up saying you're going to die. Yeah, you know. Well, I mean, that, I think that's you like can, that's you like the catch-all for you treatment. Can't, you can't tell anybody. Anybody. It, well, first of all, like it's just the interesting thing about treatment and just AA and NA in general is that like words scratch at a deeper meaning, and just in this sense, you can't tell somebody what to do, or you shouldn't, because alcoholics are stubborn, and that's why it's suggestions. But I mean, getting away from that whole concept, you can tell people what to do over and over. It's just up to them whether they hear it. And it's not even up to them. It's just this perfect convergence of I don't even know what it is. It's like willingness, it was spirituality, whatever it is. But all of a sudden somebody becomes willing to hear something and they receive it. And they could hear that from anybody, you know. And um, and I think the good treatment centers, the good clinicians, they're kind of uh, good at, at uh, maybe finding the right time or the right words to say something. It's so amazing. It was like the girl, Jessa Reed, to circle back to her, when she her dad just said to her, if things were stale, remember that? 
you can come home. Remember, she, he said, if you go back to what you're doing and it's stale, like you can come home or something. And for some reason, the, the way he phrased it, that word stale stuck in her head and she went back and things were stale. And then she decided she was going to change her life, you know? So you can't tell anyone anything, but you can also say You don't some- know. You don't know what you're going to say, how it will affect somebody else. Yes. You know, and with and with Tina, it's like, I just feel like, Number one, I care about Tina. You know what I mean? Like, she's very sweet and, like, you know, she's been a part of this thing. So I feel like we're kind of a part of her thing. And I feel like, you know, I don't want it to get much worse for her. And I feel like, you know, it's it's easier for me to talk about Todd because I know him. But it's like there is no stopping these people. You know what I mean? Like, with Todd, it's like. You know, you know, he wrote me the other day that he's uh, three months clean or whatever. You know, he's you know, and, and like the but I mean, is he three months clean? He's three months clean off of uh, heroin. Heroin, yeah, supposedly. Yeah, um, it's just like I don't know, man. I, I just feel like it's a it's a fucking rotating, revolving door, and and if you're lucky, you get to live. You know what I mean? And I also know that like. You know, all of the baby stuff aside, all of the difficulties in my moment life aside, my life is so much better than it was. And, like, you know, I can do whatever I want now. Do you know what I mean? It's like I heard Tina. She even said – she said she's 36. She doesn't know if she'll ever have a family or a husband or a baby. Well, chances are if you keep, you know, fucking shit up, it's not – your chances of being happy are much more – likely to be unhappy yeah you know it's like well that's the whole idea is it's like you look at that's even like um that whole they get all clinical but where they talk about motivational interviewing motivational enhancement it's like you kind of like find the things that are you know important to somebody and say like you know what steps do you need to take to to get those things or to protect the things that you're grateful that you have you know and then at a really basic level Okay, at a really basic level, is it too loud? No, it's right. At a really basic level, like what? I mean, I cannot imagine she's having the time of her life getting high or getting drunk or doing whatever. And then at the basic level of of being in recovery, the idea that you're there to help somebody, that you're there to like give somebody like motivation in the the worst moment it's a fucking amazing place to be you know if if you can be the person that helps somebody who was as miserable as you once were it's like then it all makes sense that it's all meaningful you know for sure you know and like i don't get many moments where i get to be that person yeah hopefully hopefully through our show you know it's a stupid thing is that like we basically created something that could be viewed as like a almost a twelfth step, not, not to alienate our anti uh, AA people, but like um, you know, and the twelfth step is having had a uh, spiritual awakening and carried the message to other alcoholics, and they well, it's not exactly verbatim, but anyways, that through dopey we could do that more and i feel like i always feel bad that i don't take more time responding to people who reach out you know because we get probably more people struggling than the other sort of addiction podcasts out there you know i'm (laughs) serious don't you think so 
I was looking at uh, at Facebook, right? And I'm looking at the share. The share group is just fucking always in my Facebook feed. Yeah. <clears throat> Are they always in your feed? Uh, sometimes. It's probably because you click on it more than I do. I feel like this stuff shows up in your feed more if you click on it. So occasionally, but not a lot. So this woman is like, you know, I, 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 I'm not drinking anymore, but I really want to smoke weed. You know, what do you guys think about smoking weed? And it's just like, it's just, you know, madness. Just like, you, you're okay if you smoke weed. Just like this ridiculous response. And it's like, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. My point is like, I remember when I, when I used to smoke weed and I would go to AA, I would think that everybody was smoking pot in AA. Yeah. That like, that it was like the pot smoking fellowship because you didn't have yeah. to admit you were doing drugs or something. Yeah. You know, but it's like, you cannot possibly do the work if you're smoking weed. You just can't. Yeah. I don't know, man. The whole it's thing. harder, for sure. I mean, it's, you can't do... I mean, for 12-step stuff, you can't. But again, it's like always circles back to like... I, I think that there's probably some people um, who use some sort of substance and have an improved quality of life over by giving up harder stuff. And... They are content and happy, but that person is the exception, and that person is not you or me. Well, no, I don't even think that that I, I don't disagree with that at all. Yeah, and and I don't disagree with that in the slightest. What I think about that exact thought is that give it six months, give it two years, yeah. give it three years. You know, it's like you said that to me. You said to me your exact words, like you know, I had 18 months, I had, you know, 19 months clean up everything. And I'm, and like, you were doing whatever you were doing. And, and then like at, at 22 months, you called me and I was like, Oh man, I started smoking pot. And you were like, cool, man. You were like, well, if you don't do heroin again, uh, that's awesome. You know, but if you, but if you do, you know, you know what that means, you know? And I was like, yeah, yeah. And, um, and I didn't, and I, I did heroin one more time, but I started to do pills and my life got worse. The point is like, you could have like a momentary improvement of your life by getting off of a hard thing to a softer thing. But when you're in the pool, chances are you're going to wind up back into your thing. Totally. Just, you know what? You should actually read the email right now. Cause that relates to this directly. All right. Do you have it queued up or you want me to find it? Uh, no, I don't. Which one? From Chip. 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 I shut the windows out of, uh, habit. Hold on. Chip. He sent a voicemail, too. All right. Chris and Dave, the podcast is awesome. I've listened from the start and got to hear you guys evolve and become superheroes of sobriety. Congratulations and thank you for the content. Don't be afraid to give some classic dopey debauchery stories some more airtime. You know we all love that shit. Sorry for this episode, guys. <laughs> this is this is just oh my god, El Stinko, El Sado Stinko episode. Yeah. But we're both sick, so yeah. you gotta give us you gotta give us a break here. Yeah. I'd like to hear more of your thoughts on chipper users. Users who just love getting high as fuck but not falling too deep into the abyss. It's like, give me a break. <laughs> it hasn't been brought up in a while, and I believe it was very briefly discussed. I consider myself to be a chipper addict. I love that phrase. Are, are, you, getting, are you getting high? No, I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm just chipping. Just chipping, bro. <laughs> Where does that come from? Remember, in, uh, what's his name says he's chipping? Christopher Maltesanti. 
Yeah, I'm just chipping. Yeah. But what is it? It's like your chip. What does it mean? I guess it's like you're chipping a little bit off of, uh, I don't know. Keep reading. I'll look up where it comes from. Yeah, please. Yeah. Um, I consider myself to be a chipper addict because I get high as fuck without increasing doses and still hold a job. Basically, I've been using for about 18 years now and have no intentions on stopping yet. I first used dope when I was 19 or 20, but my real love was prescription pills. Hydromorphone. I don't even know what that is. Cocaine and booze, always a close second. I still love my opiates, and to this day, I've only shot dope a couple of times in my younger years. Hydromorphone is heroin, I think. (laughs) I actually still prefer to snort it. Are you looking up chipping? Yeah. Uh, I'm pretty sure living a double life is really what I'm into, though. During the week, I just use enough to hold off withdrawals. Then for the weekends, I'll stockpile whatever drugs I can get my hands on and hit it up back pages for a new friend to party with. Wow. What a lifestyle this guy has. (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, Fuck. Nobody close to me knows what I get up to or that I fuck with dope. My social circle will split a gram of blow between six people on a special night out, and I have to pretend that is just crazy. Situations. Getting hookers to bring me to the trap house for first times or using at work. I know I could be standing on the brink of losing everything or even dying, but somehow I feel stuck in this position of using not enough to end up homeless but not being able to stay sober for almost two decades now. What type of addict do you think I am? I still think the drugs make me feel good, and this is some easygoing relationship, but maybe I'm more fucked up than I think. Whoa. So, so Dr. Dr. Chris, diagnose. Dr. Chris? Yes. Is the, is the, is the doctor in? <laughs> uh, well, I mean, I just feel like it's a really rare person that's able to, like, chip and get away with it, you know? But just in terms of him, like, saying he loves being in high-risk situations, you know, doing um, hookers and going to trap houses and stuff like that, like, he sounds what like... Exactly, what exactly is a trap house? I mean, it's just where they sell drugs and stuff, like a fucking, um, like a crack house. Right. But it's just, like, I feel like there's definitely, like, a pull to the dark side for some people who, like... Who gets high and has like like the like adrenaline? It's so funny actually. Is that I have a sponsee who um, he he when he uses he goes and gets like suites in Manhattan. He spends twenty thousand dollars in a week and he gets like promoters to come to the suites and he gets all these women come over and he'll like tip people and blow coke like at the club in front of people you know what i mean and like he gets off on that and it was funny because i was hearing him describe that and i got off the same way on going into the hood and buying drugs like i would always have to be drunk to do that but like i kind of had this thing where i was like oh like here i am this like entitled you know white boy um, who, you know, went to fucking Catholic prep schools. And like, I, for some reason would have like a rush on being able to go to these seedy places and fucking operate there. But uh, from the actual behavioral process part of it, I got off on it the same way this other person I'm describing got off on like being able to sniff Coke in a fancy club in Manhattan. Do you know what I mean? So there's an addiction to the lifestyle, but I'm not answering your question, but just in terms of this guy, you know, you said, what type of addict is he? Um, 
I, I, I mean, it's like what you said. It's like who knows what's going to happen in fucking six months, a year, two years. I think like it's pretty rare to see people who are able to use heroin sporadically if they really, really like it and get away but with it. But this guy, Dr. Chris, this guy says he's been – I mean I was going to start just like poo-pooing him immediately. Mm-hmm. But he's been using for about 18 years. He's, it's working for him, I guess, somehow. I don't know. I mean, that that's the one thing I feel like is like – and I feel like sometimes 12-step people, like it closes your eyes to this whole world. And I think real 12-step people see it is that there's exceptions to the rules everywhere. You know what I mean? It's like the, the reason the uh, fellowships are so successful is because like the pattern of using you and I experience – like. That's what's common. That's what's true for, you know, 90% of people who develop a problem with drugs. But there are these kind of weird outliers, you know, that that handle it, who can't handle it, but can kind of handle it, can get away with, you know, um, uh, can live with certain sort of consequences, you know, and like whether they're termed heavy drinkers or whatnot, I don't know. Uh, I just know that I'm not one of them. And that in terms of like the therapeutic, he asked what type of addict he is. Like if he's okay with what he's doing and he's successful and it's not ruining his life, then why does it even fucking matter? You know, but if it well, starts to be an issue, then he has to look at it and understand. Frankly, frankly, I think he's lying. Like I think that I do. I think he's a fucking liar. I yeah. think there's lies in this email. Yeah. And, um, and I think that, uh, I don't know. I, I just want to say this, that like, I feel like I'm still living a double life. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like when I go to like my daughter had poetry cafe the other day and like, which means that the parents all go to hear the kids read poems. You know what I mean? And you're sitting there like you're just this, you know, middle-class PTA parent kind of thing. And you know that you used to be, you know, a drug addict, you know, you used to be, um, shit. I used to be copping drugs in the neighborhood or, you know what I'm saying? I used to, it feels like a double life in recovery and I, and I don't necessarily get off on that aspect, but I do, I just, I feel shit. I mean, I I think it's beautiful. I think you get to live two lives, you know? I I do. I, I, I think that, and I remember once very, 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 very early on in, um, in, in dopey, we were doing dopey and I started, comparing recovering aspects to like the wizards and Harry Potter that we're this secret society yeah. and nobody knows that we walk among them. And here we are. This dude is fucking, you know, getting whores and going to trap houses and getting all fucked up on the weekend. I just can't imagine that his week is that good. Yeah. You know, how good can your week be? How are you not recovering from your week? As if you're fucking fucking whores and shooting fucking hydromorphone or yeah. snorting it on the weekend. Yeah, That's you're right. That's got to get you back. Yeah. I mean, who is this guy? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, that's funny. What's so funny? No, I agree with you. Yeah. I, I, but the double life thing, I feel that I feel that all the time even in school. Like, I don't even really like – if I initiate it, I don't mind it. But I, when some – when people start talking about substance use, um, the professor or – uh, classmates and stuff, whether it's in class or even just a discussion, like, you know, in the hallways or something, I actually don't even like to talk. I don't even like to say anything. I'm going to tell you a quick story. 
Okay. Okay. Well, hold on. Tell a quick story. We're gonna um, let's let's not read. I'm not gonna play the other voice memo. We'll play it next time. Right? We're done. And I'm sorry, Dopey Nation. We had a really good dopey voice memo um, to play. We'll play it. We'll play it next time. And, and it was a little dopey light, but we needed this, you know, in solidarity with Tina. Yeah. Um, tell the story, and then I actually have one three sentence email I'm gonna read. I can't say who it's from, but I just want to read it because it's a funny closing. Why can't you say who it's from? Because I he wouldn't want me to read it. You know which email it is, but you, you'll see when I read it. All right. So I was on the train going home the other day or the other month or whatever, and, and it's a very crowded train. And there's this dude who's like 50 or 60. You know, he's between 55 and 65, but you can't really tell. Yeah. And he's like dressed as like an outlaw biker guy, but yeah. he's really – really out of shape and really old and looks terrible. You know, maybe, you know, 20 years earlier, he would have looked kind of threatening and stuff, but he's yeah. just like, he's all kaput. He looks terrible. Yeah. And he's sitting on the, you know, it's a commuter train, double decker with stairs that lead out of where the people sit. And then they go up to another compartment. And yeah, this yeah, dude, yeah. He's sitting on the stairs and he's a train full or yeah yeah the train's very full yeah and he he doesn't want to stand up yeah so he's sitting on the stairs and he pulls out an altoid box full of pills yeah and he starts popping pills you know in front of everybody like multiple ones or like yeah did you look inside did you look at it at all were there different kinds in there he was sitting behind me, yeah. You know, and 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 the people in front of me were like, "Oh my god, look at this guy!" Yeah. And the dude is fucking nodding out, like, yeah. uh, you know, yeah. he's like, he's all fucked up, you know, yeah. every which way, fucked up, and um, and they start talking shit about him. You know, the people on the train start yeah. talking shit about him, and they're like, "He's fucked," blah 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 blah, and I'm just like. And I got I got kind of upset. Yeah. And and then I'm just like people. I was like people can get better, you know. And he's like, you nah. said that. Yeah. To who? To the strangers that we're Talk talking. Shit. To. No, I'm wait. sitting. I'm sitting in like a three person pod. There's what just are you defending the people. This reminds me of the story in the bathroom with the uh, the black guys picking on the Asian guy, and you were like, "Hey guys, leave him alone. Leave him alone. <laughs> you leave him alone." Okay, so you said people can get better, and what did they say? They said, "What do you mean?" And I said, "I said, man, I used to be as fucked up as this guy." You didn't say that. I swear, you? I said that. You didn't say it like that, but you okay? No. I went, man, I used to be <laughs> fucked up like this guy. No, I said. I said, I used to get fucked up just like that, and I got better. You know, but you can get better from this kind of that's stuff. That's pretty cool. Well, is it? And then the fuck – and then I – then I'm on the train, and I and I, and one of the women gets off, and I'm sitting with this guy. He's a plumber from yeah. Nassau County or something. Yeah. And, and I start and – I'm, and, and I'm just talking with him about – and he's like, yeah, I have friends who are all fucked up. And I was yeah. like – I was like, I used to be fucked up. And and I, now I do this podcast about drugs and stuff, and I give him a dopey card, right? Yeah. And uh, and and I'm thinking, wow, that's cool, whatever. I'll never see this guy again. Yesterday, two days ago, I'm walking to the train, and there he is, yeah. you know, walking past me, and he looks at me, he goes, "What's up, man?" I said, yeah. I just looked at him like I didn't recognize him. He goes, "Don't you remember me, the that's, plumber that's from really the train?" <laughs> and I'm just like, oh man, I told him the whole story. That's you know funny. what I mean? Because yeah. you think you're never gonna see somebody. No, you're, they, I actually reminded me. I just told Annie of the story today. We were walking the dog, and um, I was uh, I was in the South End in Boston, and I was 
on the street and there was like these little townhouses and there was like this homeless guy sprawled out like very uncomfortably across three stairs and there was two or three people standing around uh, outside him and they were like like talking to each other like what should we do right and I'm walking by and so I see them and they're like debating if they should do something and so I stop and I shake the homeless guy's legs and he doesn't move right and then I grab my knuckles and I rubbed his chest like you know like your sternum which is what you're supposed to do if somebody's overdosing and you try to elicit a pain response and he was like and like moved over and I just turned and looked at him I'm like he's okay don't worry <laughs> <laughs> It's all good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but it's like the the truth is that like I don't know. Tina, I I want Tina to get back back in the in the in the good part. You know what I mean? Like because we need everybody that we can. You know, anybody that can get to the good side of that whole thing and can you know, cuz I don't know, man. It's like you cannot keep going in yeah. that and you're of no good to anybody. I don't think Tina's having that. Tina, are you having that much fucking fun dipping and dabbing? No, she's not saying she is. I don't think she's defending it at all. She's saying- I know, but I'm I'm trying to fucking electroshock her into taking a look here. You know? Yeah. Okay, <laughs> let's um, let's wrap up here. I was going to play that. I was going to read that short little email, but it'll actually tie in much better with the the next episode where we'll play that voice memo, and we're also going to save for the next ep- episode some of the negative feedback that we got on the last episode. Oh man! But it, no, it'll tie much been it'll tie in beautifully with the the um, the voice memo and stuff. This episode is quite a drag, my friend. I know, but it's serious, though. We got um, it for teens. It's for teens. How All did right. it go, guys? Let us know if this episode sucked. Was the Skype recording really bad? Drop us a review on iTunes. Follow us on Instagram. Follow us on Facebook. Follow us on Reddit. Follow us on Twitter. Send us a voice memo. If you send us a voice memo, I implore you, make sure the sound quality is good and it should sweet spot is about seven minutes. You know, if it's 15, we've gotten some good voice memos that are 15, 20 minutes long, but the sound quality sucks or it's just too, too long. So shoot for five minutes, five minutes at the most 10, but five is better. Um, tell a story, get to it and make sure you're recording in a quiet, clear space. Well, much Chris, has become, to play. Chris has become an audio snob, an audio snob. <laughs> Listen, um, Shoot for five minutes if it goes a minute over. Big deal. Buy a fucking T-shirt. What yeah. the fuck? I'm sorry we're sick. We were supposed to record in uh, Manhattan tonight, and we had several guests lined up. Um, so um, we've had some curveballs with Dave's baby and with the sickness. And but uh, I'm wrapping up school. We're gonna have a lot more time. We have. I'm gonna, I'm gonna have a lot more time to go to New York. So we'll have a, some straight fire coming out over the summer. And we have some big, big time celebrities coming up too. Yes. For all you star fuckers out there. There you go. All right. And with that, toodles, my friends. You don't have to you don't even say stay strong. You're just gonna say toodles without a stay strong? Just toodles. Toodles. Jesus Christ. I wanna take a walk around the world. I wonder would it do me any good. Until I get some money in my pocket, then I guess I'll just have to walk around my neighborhood. But I want to be good so bad want to be so good, so bad, so bad I want to be good so bad Bad desire's all I ever had And I want to take a ride up in the sky 
watch this airplane just pass me by. And I want to see a Lear jetliner take a dive just to show all of these people what it means to be alive. But I want to be good so bad. Want to be so good, so bad, so bad. I want to be good so bad. Bad desire's all I ever had. And my shadow's getting smaller and smaller. And it's time to where I stand. Shadow's getting smaller and smaller. And it's time to where I stand. Busted city far behind. I'll take the high road, however far it winds, because peace and love are very, very, very hard to find. And I wanna be good so bad. Wanna be good so bad, so bad. I wanna be good so bad. Bad desires all I ever had. Damn it, all these suckers make me mad And it's all I ever had And it's all I ever had And these suckers make me mad And I want to call my dad And it's all I ever had 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 And these suckers make me mad And it's all I ever had And I want to call my dad And it's all I ever had And 